Hey, you guys, before we start the podcast, I have to tell you about a very special offer that's happening right now. My new book on trusting God comes out August 16th, 2022. But if you join my Insider Club launch team, you can start reading it right now in June. Just go to joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash insider and follow the prompts. You'll need to pre-order the book, but when you submit your receipt, you'll get immediate access to a digital copy of Embracing Trust, and you'll also be invited to a members-only Facebook group where I'm going to be showing up regularly starting July 18th. I hope you'll join me. I can't wait to see you inside the Insider Club. Tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver episode 88. Well, any other control freaks out there? (laughs) I don't like to think I have an issue with control. And most times I don't, unless things don't go my way, that is. Well, in today's episode, Sharon Hottie Miller shares from her new book on the cost of control. This is a powerful conversation. Hope you enjoy. Well, it is such a delight to have Sharon Hottie Miller with me today. I just met her for the first time, but you guys, she's a delight and you're going to love her. And I think perhaps part of the reason why I'm so excited to meet you, Sharon, is because God gave you a message that so parallels the message of my new book on trusting God. And it gives us a chance to dive into a topic that I think every woman struggles with every woman. We don't like to think of ourselves as control freaks, but oh my goodness, it sure pops up now and then. Sharon's new book is coming out in August 2022, and it's called The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. Oh, Sharon, we need this book today. Can you tell us a little bit about how God birthed it in your heart? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm so excited to be with you. And the thing that we were talking about before we started recording is the fact that our books do overlap in their themes and how I I do believe the Holy Spirit speaks with one voice. And so whenever you are hearing similar messages from people, I think it's because God is really knocking on the doors of our hearts and saying, hey, this is the message that I want you to hear church in this season. And so that is just such an affirmation for me to hear that. But yeah, I mean, there's a number of of ways I, I came at this topic, but the title itself, The Cost of Control, the reason I wanted to approach control from this angle is I think we all struggle with control. You know, I I think most people would say I struggle with it in some area of my life, whether it's, you know, wanting to control my circumstances or wanting to control my my family or, you know, the chaos of my home, whatever it is. For me personally, it's been the last two years of wanting to control my church, honestly. You know, Mm -hmm. wanting to control how people are responding to me and my husband because we've we've been leading through such a polarized time. And so every every decision we made was run through, you know, a, a partisan political filter. And so wanting to be able to download facts, you know, into the brains of my people or download scripture and just say, you know, you, if you just understood it the way I did, then you would understand. And, and what I was really trying to do was control them. Yeah. So wrestling through that, my own control issues and 
what ultimately helped me, I, I think people wrestle with control and find solutions in, in different ways. And I think that's probably a way that your book and my book complement one another. So for me, what was not helpful was necessarily like letting go, you know, and just saying, I'm going to just surrender this to God. What was helpful for me was realizing I can control the situation, but it will come at a high cost. Yeah. And this is not a maybe. This is not a perhaps. This is a written into the universe law of creation. And we know this because it's at the beginning in Genesis 3, at the fall, you know, Adam and Eve are reaching for control. And as soon as they they do, as soon as they reach for more knowledge, more power, immediately what they have is anxiety, shame, division, you know, between one another. And so this is the the blueprint for broken human nature is that over and over again, we are are repeating what happened in that moment. Mm -hmm. And every time we reach for control that God has not given us, it is going to cost us. Yeah. And that was the the medicine I think <laughs> that I needed to finally in in those moments where I'm wanting to you know control my husband and make him do what I want you know speak up when the way I think he should or make the decision I think he should make and finally having the realization wait a second I can control my husband but what will it cost my marriage you know and so that was the the illuminating perspective that I needed that has really helped me deal with my own control issue is that that it's not just that we don't have control, but that we, we break things even more when we try. Mm, That is so true. And I think especially in this time of pandemic, when everything's been taken out of our our control, Mm -hmm. I think even people who don't think they have have control issues have probably seen some control issues. And so this whole idea of, of really looking at it and saying, what is this going to cost me if I still go down this path? I, I was just thinking of a mama that I was talking to several months ago, and she, she, she runs a tight ship. This, this woman is gifted. She's talented. And she is, she's in charge. She's large and in charge. And, and, and I think the thing is, is so many times she's right. So then it just reinforces this idea. I really do have to be in control of the universe. But I, I went away from that conversation thinking exactly what you said, but at what cost? Yeah. And, you know, the thing with with your friend who's who's really organized is when we look at scripture, we see that God doesn't give us control. But he does give us agency. You know, Mm -hmm. in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve are not in control of the garden, but they're not puppets. They're not robots. You know, God commissions them and he gives them tasks and he, you know, commissions them to exercise dominion and to name the animals. And so what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is them exercising agency and, and one form of agency that they exercise is, is ordering creation in the same way that, that God orders the chaos. 
And that was a really helpful distinction for me to recognize, okay, we can't control the chaos, but we can order it. Yeah. You know, we can be organized. We can have systems and processes in our home. We can, you know, for me, like in, in my family, for example, we've got shoe baskets for each kid. And so this is the system where when they come in the house, they put their shoes in their shoe basket. And so that means every time we leave the house, we're not looking for their shoes. And so this is a way of ordering the chaos. Yeah. Which is good, and and God, that that is a God given yes. commission, but it is not control. And I think we can notice in our own hearts that we are confusing the two between ordering or exercising our agency and trying to control the world by the anxiety in ourselves. That whenever you try to control something that God has not given you control over one of the first signs is anxiety in you. And you can p see this low stakes example of this when you know, you're know you monitoring a package that's supposed to be here and you just are refreshing you know, the shipping status as if you know refreshing that button is somehow <laughs> going to magically move the package, you know, right. and when, when you're really waiting for it, every time you're, you're going back and checking it, you can feel it in your body, the anxiety of trying to control something that, that God has not given you control over. And I think that's a really great way to pay attention to other areas of your life where you're trying to control and it's costing you like your mental health, you know? Yeah. And so that's a great way to distinguish it. That's so good because I think we have this idea, you know, even when, when, you know, I was, I wrote the book and it's letting go and trusting God was my working title, but then the Lord just sat, kind of expanded and he said, I want you to let go and surrender so that you can learn how to hold on in faith. Because until we do that, then we are, it's like, I, I have to manipulate, I have to control because bad things could happen. But when we understand that we can relinquish control to a trustworthy God, knowing that he'll show us what our part is and what our part isn't. And I, it, it's so freeing. It's so freeing if we can just wrap our heads around it. You know, as you were talking about the fall, the thing that just made me so sad is I was studying and actually writing about that as well was th that the devil was able to tempt Adam and Eve with something they already had. Yeah. They already had knowledge of good. They were surrounded by perfection. They were never meant to carry the burden of evil, you know? Right. And so yeah. when, when they sinned and, you know, all of a sudden they're left naked and exposed and they're terrified, just the mercy of God that he clothed them. They had to leave the garden because they couldn't eat from the tree of the uh, the tree of life. Otherwise, they'd been stuck in that position forever. Mm -hmm. But yeah. then his love followed them out of the garden. And the thing that keeps blowing me away is everything they they wanted from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In his mercy, God gives us through the person of the Holy Spirit wisdom, power. Yeah. Yeah, they wanted what they already had. Yep. All of it. And that's kind of what you're saying, you know, letting go of control so that we can experience the power that God promises. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. How do we, how do we do it? I think, 
I think the thing we're afraid of is that like to 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 give up the, our illusion of control is to just kind of become passive. And I love that you use that word agency. And I love that you said we can tell whether we're operating correctly by the amount of anxiety. What has your journey been in letting go of control, finding our place of agency, and yet not anxiety? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, noticing the anxiety that it was creating in me was a really huge step. You know, there's a phrase, if you name it, you tame it. And so that that was a huge step. And that's what I actually devote the majority of my book to is naming the different ways that we try to exert control mm. in our lives that we don't necessarily think of it as control. And so for me in the last two years, knowledge and information has been a big one where I think either if I can, like when the pandemic first hit, you know, I'm, I'm combing the internet for information about this new virus as if that will help me to feel more in control and, and give me peace. You know, I'm, I'm taking my anxiety to the internet instead of to God. Mm. And so that, that was really eye-opening that I use knowledge and information that way to feel in control. But I also use it, as I mentioned earlier, I think if I can convince other people of the right information, that I can use knowledge, I can use facts to control other people to, you know, change their minds. And it doesn't work. That that doesn't work. You know, it's as if our it's as if we read the parable of the sower, you know, and our takeaway from that was just pelt the ground harder, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just get the right kind of seed and pelt the ground harder. And a big part of that takeaway is that for the sower, they're not responsible for the quality of the soil, yeah. you know? And so I, I really had to realize that I was doing that. And I noticed the anxiety it was creating in me where I would lay awake at night thinking about if I could just explain it this way to this person, this, this would, and, and, you know, that's me as a pastor, but for some people listening, it's your, your brother or sister, who's an alcoholic or who's dating someone, you know, or engaged to someone that is dysfunctional, toxic, you know, and you're thinking if I could just help them to see it this way that it would change them. And, and really what we're trying to do is, is control them, even, even yeah. though it's for their good. And realizing it creates anxiety in us where we lay awake at night, we feel that tightness in our chest all the time, but also what it ends up happening, same back with the fall, is it creates division in your relationships as well. And so it strains because we're not meant to control one another. And so even no matter how passively you're trying to control them, it will naturally you know, strain that. And so that was a huge step for me was just opening my eyes to what are the different ways that I try to control what is it costing me you know yeah. how can I know you know that I'm doing this oftentimes by the cost and then it that really motivated me to choose you know a way of life the way of life you know choose the way that God intended and an exercise agency in you know, taking it to God in prayer, you know, praying mm. for this person, exercising influence the way that that God created us to. Because even going back to the parable of the sower, I can't control the soil of a person's heart, but I do have a little bit of influence on whether I'm softening that soil or hardening it. 
And if I'm using my, my agency to pelt the ground with information, experience tells me that's just going to harden the soil even more. And so those are the kinds of questions that I'm better able to ask myself, what, what would God have me do once I realized I'm trying to engineer an outcome and it is not going to work out the way that I think it will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one of the powerful things and yet also the most destructive things about our current climate is we are so passionate about our opinions on right. both mm-hmm. sides of the equation. You know, to be honest, there's some viewpoints from some Christians that I'm like, what the world are you thinking? Like yes. I can't even wrap my head around how we've gotten to where we are right now. It blows yeah. my mind. But I find I can be just as dogmatic and just as polarized on that other side. And it's so weird. We're living in this time where we've almost Christianized our politics and right. thinking yeah. that if you're a Christian, you have to think just like I do. And uh-huh. I'm I'm not necessarily towing that particular line. And so realizing that I need to be able to give grace to other people to have some opinions that differ from me uh-huh. um, so that it doesn't destroy my love. And I think that's the problem with control. It eats away at love. And when we polarize our opinion, we end up loving our opinions more than we love people. And that's scary. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. Yes. So how do we, you know, I was talking with a friend, how do we hold competing ideas? You know, how can I have a passion? And I I think it does come back to, I I believe it's Romans 12 or 14. I'm going to get that wrong. But where it talks about have nothing to do with disputable matters. There's going to be those differing opinions. Um, but what? So I can't make other people think differently, but I really need to be careful about what my opinion is doing to my heart. How do, how do we relinquish that feeling like, oh my goodness, they're going to mess everything up? How, how do we do that, Sharon? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> I think to some extent, I would say if we knew the answer to that, we probably, you know, wouldn't be in the mess that we are in as a divided church right now. But I think a lot of it is having appropriate expectations for our power in other people's lives. You know, even Jesus, when he is speaking truth to people, he punctuates some of his teaching by saying, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And so you can see even he is acknowledging the limited influence of information, you know? Yeah. And so for me, it, it has been really important to have a couple of things in mind. One is, as I just mentioned, the softness of the soil of people's hearts. How can I contribute to softening the soil of other people's hearts? And one big thing that we can do is actually listen, you know, actually listen instead of trying to listen so that I can, you know, retaliate so I can argue back, but really hearing like what they're saying, because very often, and you know this with leading a church, the thing that the person says is the thing is very often not the thing. You know, there's something underneath it. There's some pain, there's some fear, there's some past 
wound, you know, and, and if you're addressing what they're coming to you with, you're missing the real issue. And so making sure you're just listening and, and then having compassion, you know, you know, discerning what is going on and then actually having compassion. And I think that that really does a lot of work to, to soften people's hearts. But then in terms of, you know, the counterbalance is when is there a time, you know, to speak truth? And again, I, I think we can take our our cues from, from Jesus. You know, he was not afraid to say harsh things, but I think we, like him, need to have in mind that what ultimately changed people was, was not really his sermons. What, what changed him is, what changed people is that Jesus is God embodied, that he came to earth to be close to people and to look into their eyes and to to heal them and then ultimately to die for them. And I think a lot of times we want to pelt with seed, you know, we want to we want to make our point, we want to feel really good about ourselves. We don't want to die for people. Yeah. You know, and and the fact that Jesus, you know, he said really really harsh things to the religious leaders of his day. He said, you know, woe to you, brood of vipers, you know, whitewashed tombs. He said all these things, but then he died for those men. Yeah. And I think we are happy to shout the woes. Yeah. But it's not out of love. It's it's for us. And so I think that's that's the other thing that we really have to keep in check is what does love require? Kind of like you said mm-hmm. earlier, how control and love do, cannot coexist. Yeah. And so making sure when we're speaking hard truth, it is as a you know parent begging their child to you know quit drinking or, or whatever it is, you know you might have to say really really hard things, but it's out of love for them and for us to be oriented towards one another with that same love instead of judgment is really, really important. I think you've nailed it because the thing that we're missing is we've got a lot of opinions, but we don't have a lot of grace. And, you know, Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he, he died for those very people. And so how can I have my opinion? How can I carry what I believe is truth, express it, in a way that is life-giving and not just judgmental. I think for me, it has comes down to this. Okay, Joanna, what is this? Is it faith or is it fear? And I think sometimes my need to control, really, if you unpack all of that for me, it's fear. It's fear. Yes. Yeah. What have you learned about that in your writing this book and in your own life? Yeah, I mean, again, it comes back to paying attention to the fruit that is producing in your own heart. Yeah. Because part of what we do is spiritualize fear. Mm-hmm. You know, like of course God wants me to care about this. You know, right. God wants me to I'm I am supposed to take care of my children. And so of course I should worry about them. That that's what, you know, a good parent does. And paying attention to what is that kicking up in you? What what are you feeling? Is are your is your jaw clenched? You know, are are is your heart rate elevated? Is your breathing elevated? All of that is, is pointing to the fact that that this is not what 
God came and lived and died for you to feel all the time and how we are forfeiting that inheritance of peace and joy because we have settled for believing that fear is is the way that it should be. And we have all the reasons why it's, it's actually okay. And it's like we talk about peace as if it's just this theoretical and no, God actually, did you know God actually wants you to lit, to be at peace? Like you can have it. It is available to you. Right. And control has so shrunk our imaginations that, that we don't even believe it anymore. Oh, so true. So true. I, I wrote about that in the book of just, you know, Jesus says, my peace I give to you, you know? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's like, it's not, this isn't heaven. So like, we shouldn't be surprised. But it's when those things happen that, you know, causes, like you say, what is, name it. Like, what's that emotion? What's that anxiety? Mm-hmm. There's going to be those things that trigger. And I, and I wrote, I wrote just, rather than letting fear trigger panic, letting it trigger trust instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's that we have to, though, stop the fear, which is the fight, flight, freeze that you were talking about. When that emotion or those that that feeling inside, I'm trying to let that be an indication. Okay, I've got a choice to make. It's not a sin. You know, we say it's not a sin to be tempted and it's not. It's what we do with the temptation. And it's not a sin to fear. Yeah. That's part of our inheritance from the fall. That's when fear entered the world was at the fall. But what am I going to do with it? And that's where I just, and it's so funny because, you know, maybe you found this too. Like you write a book, you think you've got it. I lived with this message for 20 some years, Sharon. I wanted to write this book on trusting God because I thought, and I still believe it's the most important thing. I think it's the foundational principle. Um, Will we trust God? And yet... I still have things that trigger, oh dear, oh my, what am I going to do? I've got to figure this out. And and I think pausing and then inviting God into the situation has really helped me and not believing the lie that we're all alone. Yeah. And I think one thing that is really related to what you're just saying that is important is in those moments where our plans fall apart or the future is uncertain and our temptation is to scramble after control, you know, to find something that helps us to feel more at peace with the situation. What we are also forfeiting in that moment is the opportunity to practice that spiritual muscle of trust. Yes. And that is more important than than ever because we live in a really unique cultural moment where because of our technology, you know, because of our, our smartphones and our GPS and our weather apps and our you know, tracking info on packages, flight statuses, all those things, modern medicine, we have the ability to predict and prepare and have the illusion of certainty more than any generation, you know, before us. Historically, you know, the word control is not really in the Bible. There, there isn't a, an equivalent word that, that really translates to ours, our word for control because control is not a human category that really belonged in ancient civilizations. You know, they were vulnerable to the weather and they were vulnerable to foreign powers. And if it was a pagan society, they were vulnerable to, you you know, capricious gods. But we are able to run into this 
and seek refuge in this illusion of control that's made possible because of our technology. And I think that's exactly, you know, what we saw with with the pandemic is when we all of a sudden the future was really unpredictable, we're running to the internet, we're running to technology, we're running to all these things that have given us the illusion of control in the past, wanting them to give it to us again, and they're unable to do it. And discovering all along, our spiritual muscles of trust had atrophied because technology had made it possible for that to happen. And so I think that's another thing that, that we really need to welcome when our plans fall apart, when things are uncertain or unpredictable is, is this telling me my spiritual muscle of trust has been unused, (laughs) has gone unused? And is this an opportunity where God is inviting me to, to exercise that muscle and to build it back up? Oh, yes, yes. You know, I've been thinking kind of one of the premises of my book, which is, you know, grammatically not totally accurate, (laughs) but coming just to this idea that faith is a noun. You know, I have faith. Mm -hmm. I'm in the faith, you know, um, but trust is a verb. And I know when I'm doing it and I know when I'm not. And, you know, as I was writing this book on trust, I, I honestly, Sharon, Having lived with it for 20 some years, I thought it was going to come out fully dressed and needing to shave, you know, because it was so big in my heart. And instead, uh, it was just like, how, how there's so many facets to it. And I remember thinking, oh Lord, how do I say everything that needs to be said? And I just felt the Lord said, because you're not supposed to. I've got other people who have this message and you're one of them, Sharon, you're one of them. And I love, I, you know, I've only had a chance just to briefly look at the book, but I love your writing and I love the message that you're putting out there because I think whether we're going into the end days or we're in the end days, um, these are my last days. (laughs) These I'm living in the end times of my life. And when shaking comes, when terrible times come, when things like the pandemic pandemic happen and things are out of control, will I have faith that lasts? I think that's been the thing that's just kind of haunted me is Jesus's words, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Yeah. And I think we've got to let go of control in order to live as faithful, faith-filled people. Mm-hmm. Any last words that you'd like to encourage us with? Yeah, you know, I know you just got a copy of my book today. And so you haven't been able to look through it. But I actually have on one of my early chapters, I start out by talking about how one of the ways that Christians have historically tried to feel a sense of control is by actually predicting the end times, <laughs> like yep, the exact yep. date of when it would happen. And I told us, I opened the chapter by telling the story of this man named Harold Camping. I don't know. Do you remember that that name? I don't remember the name, but I think I know what you're talking about. He was a famous guy back in, it was over 10 years ago now, who predicted the world would end on like May 21st, something like that, of a certain date. And and a lot of his followers gave, sold all their belongings and dropped out of school and got rid of their houses and, you know, bet the farm basically that this was going to happen. And then the date came and went and it didn't. Yeah. And we are heirs, unfortunately, of a tradition of some of of our great theologians predicted the end of the world. And, and so even as we think about, you know, are we in the end times, knowing that another 
present temptation when we're thinking about what does this mean is to spiritualize our our attempts to control, even though Jesus himself says, nobody knows, you know, nobody knows. Yeah. And so I want to name even that temptation whenever we talk about what what does all this mean that, that we, the control part of us will want to give meaning that that God has not given us. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I really landed on as, as such a comfort is that whenever we reach for control that God has not given us, we are reenacting, you know, Genesis 3 over and over and over again. We are making a devil's deal. It is a devil's deal. But reminding that we, just like you said at the beginning, we want what we already have, you know, that that Jesus has already offered us a better deal. It's not a devil's deal. You know, it's not going to bite us. There's Jesus doesn't have any skeletons in his closet. You know, he is dependable. He, he is faithful. And so that, that has been such a comfort to me that I don't know what this means. I don't know what the pandemic means. I don't know, you know, when Jesus is going to return, but I know who he is. Yes. And I know his character and that is enough. Amen. And as soon as I run down the path of trying to know anything more than that, it will cost me. It will cost me. And Jesus has already paid the cost. So that's where I've landed. Amen. Amen. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I keep thinking, you know, we, we're we like chicken little, you know, oh, this guy is falling. Like, like there's never been trouble in the world. I know, right? <laughs> and, and that's so, so beautiful to me to realize that saints from the past underwent way worse things than Mm -hmm. what some people are so afraid of right now. And the grace of God was sufficient for them and it will be sufficient for us as well. No fear. We don't have to be afraid. I I think we, we need to have our roots go down deep in the Lord. So what then times of shaking come, I, I love what Paul, you know, he lists all the terrible things that had happened to him. And he says, but none of these things move me. None of these things move me. And as we surrender control and get rooted in his love, we don't have to be shaken and overwhelmed. And, you know, we may have those emotions, but when we bring God into the equation, we can experience his peace. Would you pray for us, Sharon? I have just loved this time with you. Yeah, I would be happy to. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, even when we are unfaithful even though we know the story of, of Genesis 3 and, and what it cost Adam and Eve, we sometimes feel doomed to repeat it again and again and again. And I, I pray, Lord, that through listening to this conversation, that you would open eyes, that you would illuminate hearts to the cost of control. Yeah. And that when we reach out to control things that you have not given to us to control, that that we forfeit the the riches that we have in Christ. 
And so I, I pray for that that clarity, whatever anyone is facing right now who's listening, whatever control issue that that they are facing, that you would make it very clear what is the very specific cost of trying to engineer that outcome. And then you would compel their hearts to use their, their God-given agency to trust in you instead. You are trustworthy. You are good and kind. And we are so thankful for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So what spoke most to you? I think as women, we sort of feel like the need to control is part of our job description. But I appreciated Sharon's reminder that there is a cost to that control. It costs our relationship. It costs our joy. It definitely costs our peace. So instead of micromanaging the universe, what about you and I surrendering the steering wheel to God and just simply trust that He's going to take us and the people we love exactly where we need to go? You can learn more about Sharon and her books in today's show notes, joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 088. And while you're there, I hope you'll check out the Insider Club, my launch team. I'd love to have you join us on this great adventure. We're going to have so much fun and it all starts July 18th. Well, until next time, how about you and I simply offer our lives to the Lord, giving Him control of the uncontrollable, for that's the best way that we can live and love and lead like Jesus.